When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is Performance Anxiety on the Pantheon Podcast Network, and I am your host, Mark. Chris O'Rourke, Rachel McNally, and eventually Derek Van Beaver, collectively known as Sleepyhead, are my guests this episode. All three had very different paths into music. Drummer Rachel didn't even start playing drums until college, and that was really just to be in a band with Chris. Speaking of Chris, one of his biggest influences was a childhood friend, John McClain, who is also a founding member of Six Finger Satellite. And Derek's turning point happened during a family trip to Malta. The band has a name that didn't really match their sound, and I get the full story of how that happened. I also hear about how they recorded with possibly the world's longest drum loop, the difficulties of touring and recording when you're raising kids, and how a faculty variety show really got the band back together again. And we wrap up with a story about trained chipmunks, so you gotta stick around for that. Check out the band's new album, New Alchemy, on Bandcamp. Check out sleepyheadrockband.com, at sleepyheadrockband on Instagram and Facebook, and at sleepyhead1989 on Twitter. Follow us at Performance ANX on Twitter and Instagram, Performance Anxiety on Facebook, and reach out to us at theperformanceanxietypod at gmail.com. And you can support the show at ko-fi.com slash performanceanxiety or performanceanx.threadless.com. Now check out Sleepyhead on Performance Anxiety, part of the Pantheon Podcast Network. What should we so, say? So should we say like, I'm, hi, I'm Chris O'Rourke. Hi, I'm Derek Van yeah. I'm Rachel McNally. And then, we're from the band Sleepyhead and you're yeah, listening you to Performance that? Anxiety. That sounds, that sounds so, good. And if you want to throw a, a, in a... Uh, a way to promote the album at all? Yeah, and yeah. and then maybe after that we say we've got a brand new album out called New Alchemy. You can find it on our Bandcamp page, cpnrockband.com. Right. Let's try. Right, so oh, bro, we're gonna. We're gonna you're just gonna record it, and <laughs> I'm gonna pick the worst one anyway. So. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, so the goal is our three names. Yes. And you're, then you, you're listening then to performing things. You can edit all this out. <laughs> <laughs> Right. I'm going to start. That's something. We'll just go in order and then, end on you. But So then I'll say you're listening to the Performance Anxiety Podcast. Yes. Does that sound just that? That sounds good. All right. Hi. <laughs> Pick that one. Yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> okay. It's okay. Where was I when I was laughing so much? Oh, don't think about it. No. Right here on Performance Anxiety Podcast. <laughs> All right. Hey, and I'm Derek Van Beaver. And I'm Chris O'Rourke. We're from the band Sleepyhead, and you're listening to the Performance Anxiety Podcast. If you're interested, we have a brand new album out called New Alchemy, which you can find at sleepyheadrockband.bandcamp.com and on all streaming services. All right, so we're still waiting for Derek then. Yeah, he should be here any minute, I think, yeah. Okay, no problem, no problem at all. We can get started on uh, the history of the band, since he's the the rookie. That's yeah, right. Sure. The, <laughs> the, he's been in the band a long time, but he was saying earlier, he'll always be the new guy. Yep. <laughs> before, before we start, Rachel and I, were uh, dry, we were out driving around the country the past couple, of, well, not the country, My our daughter is just about to be a senior in high school, so we went on some college tours. Oh, nice. 
So we were driving back from Pennsylvania, and uh, we listened to the Janet Weiss podcast. Oh, awesome. That was great. Oh, thank you. Yeah, we saw Elliot Smith and Quasi on that, like, tour she was talking about in New York at Tramps. I remember that was really good. She is great. She was a great guest, and she's a great drummer, obviously. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. I've been so lucky with this podcast. I mean, I've I've had, I'm getting close to 300 episodes. All right. Enough, enough about my podcast here. Let's, let's actually get to the reason you guys are on, not to hear me. Cool. So the way I like to do things, I, I like to figure out how you got into music in the first place. That's, how I, that's usually how I like to start off the show. So I've got three of you on. and yeah. You got three very different versions of that, I think. So let's, let's I, I'll tell you what, let's go from, on my view, let's go... Left to right. Let's start with Rachel. Then we'll go Derek and then Chris. And you guys just kind of tell me what got you into music in the first place. What what impacted you growing up and made you want to get into this kind of a kind of business? I guess. Yeah. All right. So, well, when I was a kid, there were not that many al- record albums in my house, but there were some classics like Carol King, Tapestry. We had a crazy Bette Midler album, a Laura Nero album. So I have fond memories of singing to them and enjoying listening to music, but I really did not play any instruments. Then fast forward to high school, my main musical life was all about musical theater. So I missed all the great 80s performances in Boston because I was learning words to songs and West Side Story, Hello Dolly, and so on. Then fast forward to college and again, freshman year, sophomore year, was doing nothing musically. Well, that's not true, but I I did one more musical at like a community theater in Jersey City. But that's oh wow, Jersey City! (laughs) That that was fun. The Um, cradle of musical theater. Exactly. But my junior year. When I was dating someone, he played bass in this underground band, and that was just eye-opening to me because we would I would go and watch him and his band play in the basements of these Brooklyn apartment buildings, and it just seemed so cool. And I thought, I want to do this. This seems super fun. And so that same year, I was Chris's RA, this is at NYU. And so we were just friends that first year. Nobody knew, not even us, that we would end up married someday. (laughs) And Chris was playing a lot of guitar that year, I knew because he lived on my floor. And we got to be friends and I said, okay, Oh, I broke up with the other guy. He broke up with me. And it failed. It was a fail. And But I did still want to be in a band. And so I said to Chris, I will learn how to play something this summer, bass or drums. But then Chris had been talking with the person who would be our first bass player, and he played bass. So I sort of had it in my mind. I somehow got to get some drums. And there were drums in my house, but we lived in an apartment building. I know this is maybe more than you wanted. <laughs> no, no, this is exactly what I want. We need to revisit your junior year of high school. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, so that summer I managed to convince the family we could set the drums up, even though we were in an apartment building, in my bedroom, muffled everything with towels and foam. And by the end of the summer, I could move my four limbs in a beat and brought the drums back to NYU, had to store them in my room. So I was an RA again. So luckily I had a single, so I was not angering anyone by right. having a massive pile of drums. <laughs> every time we practiced, we had to bring the drums down to the basement, to the practice space in a big bin on wheels. In the elevator. In the elevator. It's like an 11 story right. building. And uh, that, so that's how I got into it. And I think the one thing, thinking uh, that I've been thinking about recently is I think it was critical that we immediately started playing original music rather than covers because I, I would not have been able to do any covers. I mean, we did do one Sex Pistols song for our first show, which was a coffee house in the dorm, but other than that, we really didn't. And I think that 
probably was very important because we just played. You know, I had my one beat. Eventually, about six months later, I had some more beats. You know, so so that was that was the beginning. (laughs) Okay, Derek, what about you? How did how did it all start to blossom for you? Uh, It all started in 1978 when I was what like. Five or five years old, I was on a family trip. I grew up in Holland. We took a family trip to Malta, and we stayed in this like crappy kind of but nice resort. It was like you know the tourism industry hadn't really happened yet in that part of the world at that time. Um, and there was like a little band playing like their cover songs, and they were all wearing matching suits. <laughs> I have a picture of it somewhere in a photo album. Nice. Like there's a picture of me, I think, sitting at the front of the stage and watching them like in awe. So. Something about the whole, you know, vibe, I guess, about their band vibe and they're all together and they're jamming. And um, anyway, so, yeah, I played, you know, music in high school, was in bands and blah, blah, blah. And here we are. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. That's, that's it, man. Like, but that's not, if you wanted to know, that's like the origin story right there. Short I don't and think- sweet. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Hey guys, I've got some great news. Performance Anxiety and Pantheon Podcasts are giving away an exclusive VIP experience to see Nick Mason's Saucer Full of Secrets. So head to pantheonpodcast.com slash Nick Mason to enter. Find the link in the show description or head over to our Twitter, Facebook, or Nick Mason's Facebook page for the link to enter to win. Head over to pantheonpodcast.com backslash Nick Mason to enter. Find the link in the show description or head over to our Twitter, Facebook, or Nick Mason's Facebook page for the link to enter to win front row seat upgrades, a very special commemorative guitar pick shaped necklace carved down from a drum cymbal played by Nick Mason himself. You also get a selection of curated exclusive VIP merchandise, including a VIP laminate and lanyard, crowd-free shopping at a dedicated merchandise stand before the show, and on-site perks such as priority check-in, VIP express lane into the venue for ease of entry and a dedicated customer service line. So enter now at pantheonpodcast.com backslash Nick Mason. Winners will be notified via email one week prior to the event. So enter now. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Without a healthy mind, being truly happy and at peace is hard. The good news is therapy works. But what is therapy exactly? It's whatever you want it to be. Maybe you're not feeling motivated right now and would like some tools to help. Or maybe you're feeling insecure in relationships or at work, not dealing well with the stress. Whatever you need, it's time to stop being ashamed of normal human struggles and start feeling better because you deserve to be happy. And now you don't have to worry about finding an in-person therapist near you to help. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. Try doing that in person. So join the millions of people who are seeing what online therapy is really about. It's always a good time to invest in yourself because you are your greatest asset. And a special offer to Performance Anxiety listeners, you can get 10% off your first month of professional therapy at betterhelp.com slash performanceanxiety. That's better, H-E-L-P dot com slash performance anxiety. Thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring this podcast. Yeah. All right. Well, Chris, you're up. All right. Let's, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guess yours is going to be somewhere between Rachel's and Derek's. <laughs> I think mine is actually, I was thinking when I was listening to your Janet Weiss podcast, mine's probably a little, maybe a little more similar to hers, but I grew up in Cape Cod, Massachusetts. Okay. So, so not near a city that bands played. Like the first concert I ever saw was the Clancy Brothers at the Cape Cod Melody Tent. Oh, wow! Took me and my sister too, which was actually that was I was not I was pretty young. That was fun. And then my second concert ever was Neil Diamond at the Providence Civic Center in Providence, also with my parents and my sister and a neighbor. I was gonna say Uh, you're hitting all my dad's favorites. Yeah. So that was so. 
parents liked music. My, we had a piano in the house. My mom had an acoustic guitar, but they didn't really play it very much. Um, but they encouraged my sister and I, and I did take piano lessons starting at age five and played saxophone in the middle school band and stuff like that. And, and then I did manage to convince my parents to let me sell the saxophone and buy an electric guitar because they could they could see that I was motivated to do it. And okay. so they, they were totally fine with that. And like, so I quit the band. I was in the marching band in, my, in freshman year in high school. Oh, um, but really for me is so when I got to junior high school, I met some kids that were kind of like there was this when I was in seventh grade, there was this girl who was in eighth grade and she saw like the first U2 concert in the United States and got them to sign her leather jacket. And I was like, you too. What's that? Wow. And then some other, you know, like some other older little bit weird two older kids like taught me like I like echo on the bunny men psychedelic furs new order that kind of stuff the cure rem and what I guess sort of was called college rock at the time yeah in in my early high school years but most importantly I have a family friend who's two years older than me and he actually went on to form six finger satellite which was a big sub pop band yeah I, I've known so John John McClain is his name he, okay. he he makes electronic music now under the name Dewan McLean, very talented musician. But I've known him my entire life, like literally since I was a baby. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. His parents and my parents were best friends. In fact, his father and my father have since passed, but my, my mom and his mom are still best friends. And um, because he was a little bit older, he turned me on to so much music, first of all, and also took me like he took me my and my parents because they knew him. And like they they let me go. Like I went to Boston and he, the, the, so the first real show I ever saw was X, the Los Angeles band X when I was in eighth grade. Oh, nice. I went with him and then he and then we went and saw R.E.M. at a theater in, in Rhode Island, like before they were they were pretty big. But. And then he went to Providence College, which is not far. From, well, it's like a little bit closer than Boston to where I grew up on Cape Cod. And I would start going up like even in high school, I would go visit him and he he would take me to see bands and he'd be like, but then he would like know the people in the bands. And I'm like, what? You know? <laughs> oh, yeah, that's that's my friend. Pete up there, come, come, come meet him, you know? And then Six Finger Satellite started playing and like I would sit in on their early rehearsals and he, they'd even let me play guitar with them sometimes. And, wow. and, you know, I like really just actually before he went to college, I distinctly remember one really pivotal experience where he gave me a cassette of Sonic Youth E-Ball and it was whatever the year it came out. I wish I knew off the top of my head, but yeah, he, I don't remember. He gave it to me. My parents, we were up there visiting him. He lived much closer to Boston. My, my family was visiting. He's like, you got to listen to this. And so I put it on my Walkman on the drive back to the Cape and it just I, it like melted my brain at that, at that age. And I was like, this is unreal, this music. And I just, I think that really, really was the final just mm. hook. And I was like, I, I want to listen to music all the time. I want to know about all these bands. And then, you know, got, got to see, you know, some bands when I was still in high school that I shows that I could get into. But then when I went to college in New York City, that was like, I got to see all these bands. I like I, I couldn't even believe. Like in my first two years of college, I got to see the Chills, the Verlaines, the Yellow Tango, many times Game Theory, like Band of Susan, Sonic Youth. <sighs> Set dinosaur dude, like every band that I just thought I'd never be able to see suddenly suddenly they were always playing and uh. then formed and and we started meeting people who played and it, it just it hasn't stopped since then that's it really, yeah that's amazing I've had like half of band of Susans on the podcast oh cool yeah yeah I, band of Susan so I I had their record in high school I how I heard of it I probably from John or some fanzine or something yeah. but I remember one of my first days at NYU they were playing at the knitting factory which was like 10 blocks from our dorm and and I was like didn't really know anybody I was like who's gonna know band of I, I couldn't I asked my roommate he's like band band of it's like so I went by myself, which was terrifying. Like, and then New York was not quite as safe as it is now. Right. I remember walking to see Band of Susans by myself in the Ning Factory, and a, a guy came up to me and he said, "It's a nice night for a murder." Oh my 
<laughs> got to the knitting factory. When I got to the knitting factory, I went in, I saw them. It was like so awesome. It was just so great. And I was like, oh yeah, this was, I am so glad I came, I came to school in New York City and now I'm going to see every band I can possibly see. That is amazing. Oh my gosh. There's, there is no, nothing more frightening than being in your late teens, early 20s and going to a big si- a concert in a city by yourself. Yeah, especially I, I came from Cape Cod, which is like a beach community. You know, it's not it's not the city. It, it didn't take long for me to find people to go with. Yeah, <laughs> so that, that was a, that was a very rare occurrence. In fact, it, you know, the the way Sleepy had formed is I was in the dorm in the elevator and I got in the elevator. These two guys were in the elevator. It was our first bass player, Mike Galinsky and this guy, Gene Booth. I didn't know either at the time. And I was wearing a dinosaur junior t-shirt and they were like, Oh, dinosaur junior. We like them. You're coming back to our dorm room. We're going to listen to records for the rest of the afternoon. I was like, let's do it. That sounds good. And that, <laughs> that, like, that's how, you know, and then Mike was one year older. Rachel was two and Gene might've been, one or two and they just started introducing me to other people and within like a couple of weeks i knew all these people who you know would want to go to shows yeah all right so you guys obviously didn't go to nyu for music especially i know what were you guys studying i was an english major i was a history major and women's studies minor man all right Religious studies major, even though he's not a particularly religious person. <laughs> <laughs> That's the kind of thing that always fascinates me is, is what path were you on before you yeah. got, I don't know, sidetracked maybe? Maybe it's a misword. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, Rachel is a history teacher yeah. and I'm a fourth grade teacher. So I teach writing and reading. So it's not entirely. Yeah. You just had a couple years where you did some other stuff. For me, many years. Rachel started teaching very early on. Excellent. And I. Yeah, I had a variety of weird jobs that would let let me tour and yes. come back. We toured in the summer a lot, so Rachel was able mm-hmm. to do it. That's, that works out nicely. So how, how did you guys come up with the name Sleepyhead? Ah, yes. So I'll try to say this story more efficiently. Basically. <laughs> Third grade. <laughs> Second grade. Just kidding. Oh, this is definitely Rachel's story. It is. So, Okay. Going back to that very first Sleepyhead show, which was a coffee house in our dorm. We had no name for the band. We were practicing a lot, even though this was in the period when there was only one drum beat and a very few <laughs> few Sleepyhead songs, plus the Sex Pistols cover. So we were practicing a ton, staying up very late to do this. And we had no name. We were going around in circles trying to come up with a name. And one day I was taking just a glorious afternoon nap. And then Chris and Mike busted into my room because it was time to practice. We had the practice room signed down. It was time to lug the drums down to the basement. And I was so dead asleep. I mean, I really can remember it. It was just like like they could not pull me to consciousness. Finally, they did. And I was kind of trying to shoo them away. And then Mike was very frustrated. And he just said, we should just call the band Sleepyhead after you. And I'm telling you, it was like a movie. And we all three just looked at each other and we said, that's it. That's the name. (laughs) That's awesome. Because the music, even back then, is not sleepy. No. No. I kind of like that about it, actually. (laughs) It's so true. I mean, I think, yes. The the first third of our existence, time-wise, the 90s, it did seem like we were just trying to play as fast and loud as we could. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I had a Marshall half stack, and we had an SVP bass amp, like a giant 300-watt bass amp. Whoa. Yeah. yeah. So then for the past 20 years, the second two thirds, we have not, that has not been a prime directive. <laughs> yeah. I was listening to the first single play and I mean, that's so garage rock. Yeah. Yep.
That's, I kind of like it. I gotta say, that was, that was great. We, someone, a friend of ours, Mike McGonigal, who, who is a fanzine editor right now, he's got maggot brain is his, his latest awesome print magazine. Oh, cool. He was friends with us and he told Mike, he's like, Kramer, you know, who to me was like the guy's 500 producer, bong water, all that stuff. He, he basically told us like, you guys need to record. And Kramer's like reasonably priced. Like all these other fancy New York studios aren't better. Go, go to Kramer. And we went there and, and, you know, recorded. We didn't know what we were doing. And he knew we didn't know what we were doing. And he was wonderful. He just recorded like three songs in an afternoon. And he's like, I'm going to mix these and give them to you tomorrow. So, wow. Then we had met, you know, it was. Rick Mank from Velvet Crush, who we we had his friends who ran this label, Picture Book Artifacts, wanted to put put it out as a seven inch. Mm-hmm. That and is, it, it got like college radio play in the Northeast and in in, in in the Midwest even, and so we got like even elsewhere. So it was like fun. We we go to Boston, which was great for us because we have family up this way and people knew our record from, you know, we'd, we'd go to the Harvard radio station and they'd play the record and they inter- Rachel did an interview with them with us, you know, so that's, that was sort of the start. And then we just did some more recordings and eventually made a record for Slumberland. There's just, there's a huge leap forward from that first single to the first album. Yeah. It's, how often were you guys playing? A lot. Yeah, a lot. It's fun. It's funny because right now, well, especially because we're all teachers in the summer, but, and we have the records coming out, we have shows. There have been weeks this summer where we've played almost like three, four, five times a week. But back in those days, we were playing a lot. So we did get better. (laughs) Um, (laughs) It was a fun time. It was all new and just writing new songs and. I really enjoyed getting going back and listening to that stuff. It was really cool. You've got even with all the the garage rock and the and the punk, I can hear a little bit of maybe some like country yeah, influence in in that. It's but I mean, you got you guys have some amazing stuff like Fry. The song Fry is one of my favorites. Oh, that cool. that's going way back. Yeah, that is a, a, the guitars just kind of teetering on feedback, and that's the kind of thing that I love. It's just almost on the edge of falling apart, but it's, that would have been us at the time. Yeah, yep. <laughs> it could because it actually was almost on the edge of falling apart. But that wasn't pretend. The more um, you guys the you released, the heavier it seems to me the the country influence came into play. Yeah, I think it's. I think what happened, like you know whatever my influences were, which were probably very similar to Mike's. We, we had very similar tastes in music. Um, you know, he, he, you know, he came, he was from North Carolina. I was from the Boston area. So there maybe were different bands that we knew of that were sort of the seminal bands of our regions. But, um, it was definitely like loud, noisy guitars, you know, some sort of pop sensibility. But I, I think, you know, what happened is like any, hangups I had about what kind of music was cool or not cool as I got older I just they just fell away and I realized I liked a whole bunch of other different kinds of music and wanted to try to do I just to kind of go be, be I didn't know how much further we could go with the sound we were doing so I don't think I thought of it that way consciously but that probably was what it was and and you know you hear more and more music and music I'd never heard before and realized that music that I thought maybe was terrible actually is really incredible. And it's open. It just opened me up. And I I feel like, like where I am now is just the most totally open to to anything. So, um, other, other started coming out, but I, I mean, I think at some point I realized that like songwriting was important and, you know, that's just something you have to work on. I can definitely, hear a big progression from each album like uh sick of heaven great song yeah. 
you're adding more to it. Like there's organs and pianos and things. So it's, it's really expanding as you guys go on. Yeah, definitely. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Hey guys, I want to talk to you about socks for a second. Why not? It's a music podcast. But I tried a pair of socks from Boldfoot and loved them. I've only worn them once because my kids have stolen them. So in my household, that's the best endorsement I can give. And I guess it's fitting because the design I chose was Jailbait. Wait, Jailbird. The design I chose was Jailbird. I might keep that in. The socks are 100% American made and 5% of all proceeds go to veteran charities. It makes sense seeing that Boldfoot is a family and veteran owned company. They have a huge variety of styles. So check out boldfoot.com and buy some of the best socks you've ever slapped on your feet and help veterans while you're at it. That's boldfoot.com. Was that more of your influence? Was that some of the other band members? Or everybody getting into stuff? Or? I think it was just a natural yeah. progression, progression that as we became more comfortable playing our primary instruments, then you just can't help but be curious about what you can add in the studio. It just becomes fun yeah. to experiment. And the years are, just keep going by. And life affects you. What you hear affects you. So I think it was just very natural progression. And that has continued right up to the present. And I'm sure we'll continue to keep it. Who knows what the next record will sound Yeah, I mean, our, the re- I don't, I'm not quite sure when this will air, but, but the record's coming up for us. It's tomorrow, but August 19th. And we already have a couple new songs and are already, like, thinking about what are we, where are we going next? Oh, wow. Wow. It's just, it's... You know, the record that we are just putting out is by is every musician probably says this, but it by it's by far my proudest moment and my favorite. And I don't, I mean, there's a lot, there's great stuff from the past catalog too, but my mind is like on the present and and on where are we going next. So, oh, yeah. Of, yeah. Well, that, yeah, of course. It's, yeah. So you guys put out stuff on a very consistent basis from 91 to 99. Yeah. And, yeah. And it definitely evolved. I mean, stuff from the first album is, is so much different from The Brighter Shore. Country rock is definitely more of an influence, like, yep. a, like a grizzly to honey. Yeah, um, yeah. And it's more experimental, too. It wasn't just like you were going more stonesy or anything. I mean, songs like uh, Miss America, The Getaway, yep. In a Perfect World, Song for the Pied Piper. and listening compared to what I was listening to in the, at the beginning. Yeah. Right. It was such a great transition. It was yeah. surprising it would, in, in, a, in a really good way. Yeah. The getaway, actually, the drums on that are, are an actual tape loop, like a giant... Like, yeah, like 16, 30 feet. Yeah. It was, 30, it was, we were, it was around wrapped around post. Eric Masanaga, who was put the record out, was our producer. We're like, we're going to make a tape. Rachel played it played in. And, and he recorded enough, like, he recorded whatever amount of right. tape and then literally spliced it together. Yeah. And it was just going around the room in this studio. <laughs> and then we got it on the main tape. And then it was yeah. done. We Then we just... But yeah, that was, wow. yeah, that was definitely it. We were like, we let's try, let's, we, we don't have to pigeonhole ourselves into a certain thing. So. Nothing 
from that, you know, that point forward, well, you know, well, what happened with that record is Rachel and I got married that year. We had a kid two years later. Mike quit the band right when we finished recording that record, which was fine. He was moving on to be a filmmaker. Right. We moved to Boston. The, we, we started recording Wild Sometimes, which came out 15 years later, but we actually started recording that in like 2000, early 2000. Yeah, I was pregnant with Finn. Yeah, so, so <laughs> and then we were recording that in Hartford, Connecticut with Michael Deming at Studio 45, and then he closed his old studio and built a brand new studio, so there was no right. studio for like a couple right. of years. Oh, wow, okay. And we were then in Boston, which wasn't a big deal because Hartford's kind of halfway between New York and Boston, but so we would I would go out there and we, you know, we'd go out there and do the vocals on a song, and like a month right. later, we'd do a guitar part, and or or six months. And we later. had kids, and, and <laughs> so it was that was the that was like we kept playing. Derek joined the band in two thousand four, right. right? When we were asked to play a show, and oh no, for no, Derek and Rachel teach together. There was yes. a faculty variety show. Faculty variety show. That's what got us with Derek. That's a first. Uh, yeah, in the podcast. <laughs> yeah, so we played a song, and then eventually we wrote a couple of songs with Derek, and yeah. we were like, we got to get at least a couple of the songs with Derek on this record. That our friend Dan Cuddy, who was in Hypno Love Wheel and who has this great band called The Special Pillow, he he kind of took over the bass for us when Mike left, and he kind of like helped us keep sleepyhead going for a couple of years even when we moved here we did some shows and right. he we'd meet him he'd come up and before we kind of got you know once we found Derek, like dan knew it wasn't a long we knew it wasn't right, a long-term right. thing he was just helping he was he was wonderful he kept the band yeah. going and it just was a super positive cheerful presence and yeah so then we finally got that record done <laughs> Thing though, so even though from when we moved here till Wild sometimes coming out in 2014, that just that does seem like a shockingly long amount of time. But, <laughs> but the, the reality is, we felt like we were moving forward all along because, like, we were learning some old songs, writing new songs, raising children, all teaching. So it was moving slower from the outside, but our days were very busy. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it felt like, yeah, we're still in the band. And we would play shows, like somehow shockingly with no new records coming out, we were able to play a few times a year, you know, again, New York, Providence, Boston. And so it just felt pretty productive, even though I realized. <laughs> I was like, when are you going to get that record out? We're like, we're going to get it out. <laughs> Then we finally got it. Like we record. Then we recorded the last couple of songs up in Boston with Derek. Two or two. The first two songs we wrote with Derek. Life is hard and wild sometimes. that we put on the record. And then we started working on this record that's about to come out. Right. Yeah, and half we, the time. We, I yeah. know, half the time. We're I think doing good. in our minds, we thought we could do it in like four years. <laughs> but in fact, it took eight. So I we really need to put the pressure on ourselves to get something out before next summer, well, even if it's an EP. I, it, I'm putting the pressure yeah. on. In oh. some ways, it's easier again because like Rachel's and my son is in he's in college. He plays on guitar in the first two songs on the record, and our daughter is wow. it, going to be a senior in high school. She played bass with us at our last show. Derek has a kid in college now, and his boys are older, so it's like. You know, Derek's at our house right now. We, we, we practice in our house mostly in his house also sometimes too. And it's just easy. We don't need babysitters. And, and it, so, so we're kind of like we're back to much more active again. So there's a possibility that your kids are going to end up like you and John McClain. Yes. 
as a high likelihood of yes, that. Yeah. Yes, they, they really, I have this idea. I want our kids to write an article called The Kids of Sleepyhead <laughs> because they lived through the creation of this album, Practicing Friday and that afternoons. 17-long-year hiatus. Literally their entire life. Yeah. Yep. So I feel like Two they albums. would have some interest. I mean, maybe we wouldn't like the article. I, don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I do remember one time. So Derek's youngest son, Xander, I know you'll have to tell me what exactly how it went. But one night when he was going to bed, oh. he said something like, What's wrong with the sinking ship? Oh, what about the what, 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 what about, about the sinking what, ship? What about the sinking ship? Which is like the opening lyric of "Can you leave the light on?" Yes. <laughs> Clearly, he sort of was a little worried. He's very concerned about. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? He had a good reason. Yes, I guess in, the, in hindsight, <laughs> if there was a what big, about the sinking? We ship? were on a big old sinking ship the whole time we were making. <laughs> <laughs> well, Rachel, I've noticed that in the past few albums, your vocals are a lot more in the mix. Yep. So, how did you start singing? I mean, you did, you started you just started playing drums in in college. Right. I know. So, well, when I was first playing the drums, again, the one beat that took all of my focus, <laughs> and so it even though I had done tons of musical theater singing in high school. It really did not seem possible to sing while playing the drums. But then I saw many talented drummers who could sing. So then I thought, well, I can sing. I should try to do this. And then when we would record songs, obviously that was easy to do. But because we weren't factoring it into live shows, I don't know. We just weren't focused on it. And some of those early shows it frankly must have been horrible when i was first trying because i mean i i, w I had no strategy i would just be like well i have to play the drums and now i have to sing ah! you know so it was really hard and it took a long long time and even now sometimes i cringe and i'm like oh i just missed that note or i can't hear enough in the monitor who knows how it sounds i don't know maybe it's good maybe it's horrendous but it, now I have a strategy. Like, I'm really thinking, like, you have to keep your limbs moving or the drum parts aren't going to happen. But I just try to keep the core of my body still, if I'm singing lead especially. If I'm just doing the harmony vocals, then t that takes a little less breath most of the time. Okay. Yeah, okay. It's, it's a challenge. I think for some people, maybe it's not, and uh, that's very magical and wonderful for them. But for me, it is a challenge, and I have to really, really try. But you know what? I don't think it seems like a challenge from the outside anymore for you. You're really good at it. In, 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 like Meaning like the other people, like you've just done it enough. That right. It, you just got to right. clock just, the hours yeah. for anything. That's true. And you build up some muscle memory. And again, I mean, I think that's why writing songs is good because we've clocked the hours since 2004. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's amazing. It makes a difference, though, when we're working on harmony vocals for songs. Certain things happen so quickly because we just, if I do this, no, you do that. No, you know, to whatever the lead part is and vice versa for a song that Derek sings, then we can find a thing that Chris and I do to, you know, match up nicely with what Derek's singing. Yeah. So, we, yeah. Rachel sings lead on five songs in the new record. I sing five and Derek sings two of his own songs, which is a real first that, but I'm, I'm, I keep saying, I don't, I think that on this record, you never hear the same lead vocalist two songs in a row. Mm, we'll have to check. We'll have to yeah, but check. That's kind of like a, that was kind of like a, a goal. Like some of my very favorite bands have multiple lead singers. Mm -hmm. Like Yo Tango, one of my absolute very favorite bands. Um, Fleetwood Mac, My Bloody Valentine, Sonic Youth. Um, it, and those are just like male, female, like, you know, even bands like, the birds or the band where you're hearing lots of, you're hearing different people singing, even if it's harmony vocals, they are very distinctive. So yeah, I like this new thing where you hear lots of different vocal lists, don't lead vocals. So that is definitely something that I want to make sure it can happens on the album. And in our live shows, Rachel's actually late in the past years, Rachel's often sang a lot more live. Oh, but, okay. 
most she's ever sang on a record of lead vocals is two, and now it's five. Now it's five. More than double. More than double. <laughs> but I think it's a nice, it makes the record flow in a good way, I think. Oh, yeah, I love it. And how do you guys write? Are you all writing your own material and bringing it in and showing everybody, or is it more collaborative where you're working on things together throughout the whole process? Or a little bit of everything? I mean... Uh, well, like I write my own songs and then sometimes I am, I think like, Oh, this, this could work in a sleepyhead setting. Okay. Um, so that's, that's how I think about it. But like with Chris's song, I mean, yeah, I, I tend, so Derek will tend to have his, if he has a song, it's either, it's more complete. And sometimes he's even recorded his own version. He has a really amazing solo record out called living with a ghost. And, and you know, there are two of the songs on our record. There are versions on his record that he did first, and they're there's you know ours are different. They're different enough, yeah, for sure. And I think with my songs, I'm I'm bring them more like sometimes they're not quite finished, or I don't know the lyrics, or and but I, and I think when I'm writing songs, starting with writing for actually probably with the two songs that we did for Wild, sometimes the two new ones with Derek, one I sing lead, one Rachel sings lead. I feel like right now, since I want Rachel to sing lead more, like if I write a song that I'm thinking I'm going to sing lead, I, the next one I write, I need to think of her, but I'm thinking of who's singing it before I, it, it's not like I write the song and then go, Oh, this, who should sing this? It's like the whole mindset it from the beginning is thinking Rachel's going to sing this song. So, mm -hmm. and I will, so I really don't write any songs, but I will say watching these two help each other, regardless of how complete a song is when we start working on it, the three of us, like they each help each other so much. It's amazing to watch. Mm. It really is. They're very giving toward each other to help the seed of the song idea come to fruition. So oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, I've, I've really enjoyed uh, the new album is new alchemy. And I have, it's great. Like you said, it's, it's, it's a much different sound from earlier stuff. It's, it's more mature, uh, maybe a little smoother. Yeah. I, I hate to say softer, but maybe more, maybe a little countryer. Okay. Yeah. Poppier. It's really bad. Yeah. I, I think my favorite track on the album is Fort Misery though. Too. Yeah. I think Thank it's you. one of the best ones on there. It is so sad and beautiful all at the same time. It's just, it's. Uh, was, I think that was the first song I ever wrote. Wow. That's a good way to start. Or really bad because you kind of <laughs> set the bar kind of high with that He's one. He's got some other really. Oh, good I can, that, that song <laughs> is that song. I, 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 I got tears for years. I'm not, I'm not bragging because I didn't write it. That song is tremendous. Tremendous song. I know really why you powerful. like it because it has that ending with the feedback that you probably like. <laughs> I do. I, that, but it also has the pedal steel in it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Which That's I love. Different. And John. Yeah, Jonathan Goldberger John, plays pedal steel on that one, yeah. He's going to play, he plays guitar with us sometimes. He lives in New York. He's Derek's childhood friend. He's going to play with us at our New York show next yeah, week. Yeah, he won't, he won't bust up pedal steel. No, no pedal steel. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Yeah, that was fun. He's a, he's a great guitar player. I love that. I love that beautiful reverby guitar in Crazy Lady Blues.
That's a that's a good song. And and that that's, guitar. That's a Sandy Denny song. We did not write that song. That's a Sandy Denny cover. Okay, I didn't even realize that. I haven't yeah. seen the notes. Yeah, yeah. I'm only Mar- I'm kind of familiar with Sandy Denny, not deeply. I got a friend who's very much into Sandy Denny, and she's gonna be, he's going to be very mad I, that I didn't recognize that one. That's okay. <laughs> Don't tell him. Don't. <laughs> you can say, oh, you're this nice cover. I know you like Sandy Denny. It Denny's. is one of her <laughs> most well-known songs, for sure. And the version, her version on her record is a much more jaunty drums and everything, but there are versions of her, like, solo. That was Derek's idea to do that song. I also love the lyrical imagery on uh, Renovation Blues. Yeah, that, you know, taking out the trash, transitioning to flowers on a grave, and it's it's yeah. it's more beautiful than I'm portraying it right now. Will you be my baby doll? Will you catch me if I fall? Can you take the trash out, baby? Will you lay some flowers on my grave? There are days we've got to sing these renovation blues. Pick me up, you fix me up, recuperate, regenerate. Yeah, and the, oh. yeah, thank you. Yeah, an interesting <laughs> thing about renovation blues is. I don't sing on it at all. Rachel sings the lead and Derek does all the harmonies. There's no three part harmonies on that, oh, but I wrote oh. it. Oh, so, no. it's, so it's kind of, I, I really kind of, that's fun for me. It's, it's, it is a little hard to sing. It is because now you're going to have to, after this, go <laughs> listen to it again. Some the lyrics, there are six words starting with the letter R in the choruses. So I've had post-its stuck on my drums to get them right. I tried to come up with mnemonic devices. I was like, it's the the third letter of each song. It's almost alphabetical by the third letter. Yeah, you can see why I wrote it, but I left them singing. Oh my gosh. And then at one point, Derek was like, I'm just going to do Oz. And I was like, no. Until we get it together. <laughs> so, yeah, if we, if we practice enough, then it starts to feel like it's solid. <laughs> Believe it or not, songs that one may have written, you can still forget them. You're like, it, it happens. Yeah. Well, y'all just made Chris leave. I'm coming He's back because so um, the I did the this the spark for that song came from a blind Willie McTell song called "Lay Some Flowers on My Grave," which is a really good song. Oh yeah, um, it's on one of these records. I was trying to find it. <laughs> but our song is not really. It's it's just it's not like that at all. Just I just made me think of that idea of laying flowers on a grave. Well, it's a great blues image. That, yeah. that pops up in, in some amazing old blues songs. So it's yeah. it fits in. And there's definitely a Graham Parsons Stones feel to songs like Good Goodbye. I love it. I'm a huge Grand Parsons fan. So that's very, I'm glad you picked up on that. That's Derek's song. We, we definitely do a Stonesy oh, version. Yeah, it's, it's very Stonesy, but I, I feel like I always mock that. I, I, I feel like I've just ripped off John Cougar. <laughs> nah. I, I, really? It's, it's like Little Pink Houses. Whenever I play it, I want to sing Little Pink Houses. But anyway. It's also <laughs> like the open G. It's an open G yeah, play, So my album, I play, I've been writing for the last like four years in open G tuning. So everything ends up kind of sounding like the Stones. <laughs> yeah. But then, but then my part's in not in an open G, so yeah. it, change, it yeah. mixes it up a little bit. Okay. So for me, it's kind of more stonesy because it's like a... Right. Yeah. So four <laughs> years, you're getting it done quicker than normal. Well, uh, <laughs> I, I, 
it's still hard to figure out sometimes like what chord voicings work with it. And um, the guy from you know, Alan Sparhawk from Low plays on Open G, so that kind of keeps me going too because he's been doing it forever. So, yeah. and he does not. It doesn't always sound like the Stones when they play. Right. That's, <laughs> that's a good point. So, so the album's dropping in a day. This podcast will be out in a few weeks. Yeah. So are you guys planning on doing much live since summer's ending school starting back up? Are you guys going to be able to, to play live shows? We'll do as much as we can. Yeah. So we have a show in New York on August 27th. So that will have, that will have happened. And then we have a show up here in Boston at the square root in Roslindale on September 17th. So that'll be, if we can make it to the 17th, we'll be able to make it through the whole school year, I think. <laughs> we have a show planned. Yeah, I'm working on some other stuff. I think we'll have a Providence show in the fall. I think we'll have another Boston show in December that's not really confirmed yet. But And then, you know, I think throughout the fall, whatever we can find weekends that we can make it somewhere to, um, we'll try to do. And then I hope, like, in our maybe in the spring when we have our spring break and definitely next summer, we can maybe just book some shows and get out of town a little bit. Okay. We really, we really want to make it happen. And I, I think we can, so we just have to keep that's all these things are like, take more effort than, than it seems like it should. But, yeah. but I, for us, like the first steps and this is also why we don't have vinyl happening yet. We just, we just wanted to get this thing out. Um, we had a video release on Brooklyn vegan today, uh, for Pam and Eddie. Oh, um, cool. cousin Jeannie Donahoe directed it directed it it with her partner Michael Fekier I think I'm saying his name correctly I hope I hope I am um and it's um it's really a great video it's a very New York video the song is is very New York kind of song they shot it in Prospect Park and it is as you mentioned I I wasn't thinking that but yeah that is a very there's a lot of New York imagery on going down the steps and it's yeah. yeah So we're hoping all these things, all these things are going to help. Like we, there's a record out. And so then when I email someone, can we, can we play? Can we, you know, we're, can you, can you give us a Saturday night so we can make it there? And, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, I hope it'll, it should make it easier to actually have some new stuff happening. So, so what does a set list look for you guys? Cause you got quite a, a discography at this point is it a lot of the is it a mix of the earlier noisier stuff and then some more some of the newer yeah. stuff or is it mostly it's, new it's really mostly new stuff and yeah. covers we love to play covers yeah so you went and, from no covers to loving covers yeah yeah yeah, um, <laughs> yeah especially with the new record out it's going to be really like fun to have people know some of the songs from the from it being out but um you know if people like want to hear older songs we're fine with doing it it's just not where it's not the most interesting thing to us and you know but we want to make people happy too so derek knows some of the older songs and easily can learn them if i mean we at this point some of them we need to learn learn although it comes quick it comes really i'm i am always amazed that i can remember lyrics for songs that we might not have played for for 25 years 20 years i'll tell you what i would love to hear they're deep somewhere because they they mostly come come back without me having to listen to it Um, I, i would love to hear you guys do liberation theology yeah, yeah, that's a good song. That, that would, would be one. I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds like Fugazi wrote a pop song.
I, I do like that song from the Better Day stamp. Yeah. So if you guys come down to DC to, okay. to play, <laughs> figure out a way to do liberation theology, and yeah. I'll be there with my camera. And uh, yeah, I hope we get. I hope we can make it to DC either in the spring or in the summer next summer. But I'd love to. We used to play there all the time, so we do have some friends there too. Oh, that would be awesome. I live just outside of dc in winchester so it's an easy ride for me all right liberation theology i think i played that radio shack move that we had to give back to the person who owned it so I, this yeah. is an excuse for me to get yeah. a synthesizer <laughs> thank you my pleasure anything yeah. i can do to help you get into more gear yeah exactly <laughs> well guys i've kept it for a while I've, i'm loving the album thank you so much for being on the show how how can people follow the band and pick up the album and help support you guys and maybe uh, give you ideas of where you can play when you venture out of the boston area yeah, reach out to us if you if you book a club somewhere within a couple hundred miles of boston we'll, we'll try to make it down there um and then further at, you know next when we have more time so it's going to be on all streaming services and it, in a band camp at midnight tonight, I got to press the button. So it's, so the pre-orders and everything, and then it's up on Bandcamp where you can get this, you know, higher quality yeah. audio that you can download and, awesome. uh, and then hopefully some, some vinyl at some point, but for now it's digital, but it should be really readily available everywhere. And we have our, our website is sleepyheadrockband.com and our Bandcamp is sleepyheadrockband.bandcamp.com. Yeah. Okay. But, from our what about Instagram? Is that Sleepyhead Rock Band? Exactly. Yeah, actually, it's no, 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 it's at Sleepyhead Rock Band. Yep. is the IG. Twitter is Sleepyhead 1989. So many socials. I know, and Facebook I think is Sleepyhead Rock Band also, but they're but they're all linked on the website. Right. Yeah. yeah somehow. Are your kids making you do like a TikTok page or a Discord? So Something on TikTok. Our daughter was telling us. I know, but apparently you can't put your own thing on TikTok. You have to wait for someone else to do it. I have I have a TikTok account. I have Sleepyhead Rock Band on TikTok, but and the only person I follow is our next door neighbor. Really nice. Got a chipmunk that he feeds by hand. Yeah. And he's our age, and his kids are like his kids have helped him. Like he has got. He has trained the chipmunk. He's trained the chipmunk. And then the chipmunk trusts him so much. I wandered by to turn like the hose on. Cashew. Yeah, the other day. And our, our neighbor, he said, Rachel, come over, come over, sit down. If you hold the peanut out, Cashew will come take the peanut from me. And he did. Cashew the chipmunk. First, he took one from my fingers, and then when he knew I wasn't a bad guy, the next time he came back to get another peanut, um, our neighbor Romeo said, now put it in the middle of your hand, and the chipmunk will jump on your hand and take it, and he did. <laughs> oh, my gosh. We what just have that? to make sure our dog doesn't chase him, because I think he comes into our yard sometimes, too. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want your dog eating the cashew. Definitely not. No, we, he, we, every time we let him in the out in the yard, we're like, all right, all animals, the dog's coming out. Go somewhere else. And he, he can't really catch them. He's, he's fast, but he's too big. Oh. <laughs> well, guys, thank you so much. Thank, this has been a lot you. of fun. This is fun. This this is a great podcast you got going. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. I found some daylight through a rift in the trees. I walk right in and out. The arc and the solar palms, the 